Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Matters. Keeping you connected to our community. Brought to you by Colin Hardigan of Coldwell Banker Fort McMurray, Cooper and Company Law Firm, and Fort McMurray Orthodontics on Mix 103.7. Welcome back to another episode of Fort McMurray Matters. I'm Adam Mofus, and today we're chatting with President and CEO of the Fort McMurray Airport Authority, RJ Steenstra, and 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 the newly chosen chair of the Canadian Airports Policy Council. To start us off, RJ, how has this year been going for you? And also, what is the chair of the Canadian Airports Policy Council do? Yeah, so let me just start by uh, saying a happy new year to to everyone out there. Um, it's uh, It's been an interesting start to 2022, not uh, one we entirely expected. But uh, anyway, we're, uh, we're, uh, we've got to deal with, uh, with it and uh, we're moving ahead. But yeah, the Canadian Airport Council is actually a group based out of Ottawa. It's an advocacy group that represents uh, the 56 uh, major airports in Canada. Um, and um, primarily, it's the voice of airports uh, for uh, for the Canadian marketplace. We are a um, division of Airports Council International North America, which um, is uh, based in Washington, D.C., and which uh, now I also sit on the executive committee of, given my role as um, uh, chair of the Canadian Policy Council. And I know this might seem weird because, you know, you said it kind of gives them a voice, but how does being part of the Airport Council International of North America, how does that go about helping Canadian airports? Yeah, so we uh, we have obviously strong um, advocacy efforts into the federal government on issues that affect airport and affect travel. And so um, obviously uh, the last two years has been dominated by uh, COVID and uh, ensuring that there's um, support for the Canadian aviation system. Um, but in particular, it's, it's really about airports. And so that's just one of the key areas that we focus in on. Uh, but it's also about networking and connecting and ensuring that the system of airports in Canada stays strong, uh, that the public understands Canadian airports and how they operate. Um, there's an education element to it as well, and um, but primarily it's focused on advocacy uh, and government relations. Government relations. Okay, so that was actually going to be my next question as well, is how much... I don't want to say, uh, you know, give and take conversation, but how much input does the council get in in dealing with some of these mandates and, and various other rulings that come down from the government? Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, obviously aviation is a highly regulated industry. And so there always has to be strong relationships with uh, with the federal government uh, into the minister, in particular, the Minister of Transportation. And so uh, we're um, looked at as um, a voice uh, for airports, um, the uh, a knowledge base about airports. Uh, we're asked for input. 
Uh, we're asked for opinion. Uh, we consult uh, a fair amount with government on different policy decisions. Sometimes we'd like to be consultant consulted more uh, than we are, uh, but uh, certainly it's just a representation of uh, the airport system within uh, the country and uh, within the within the government. So it's pretty typical for um, most large industry sectors to have a lobbying or advocacy association that represents the in interests of their members. And so that's really what the Canadian Airport Council is uh, is all about. And is this your, your first uh, interaction, like your for first belonging of the CAC? No, no, I've been involved in the CAC as a member uh, through various airport positions that I've held, um, um, but uh, most recently coming out of being a vice chair. Uh, Joyce Carter out of Halifax uh, was the outgoing chair for the last two years, and I was uh, uh, the vice chair of the uh, Canadian Policy Council, and prior to that, I had different roles on on the um, on different committees within the organization. So, um, we do have um, uh, safety and security committees. Uh, we we have uh, you know various groups that um, that come together from the airport industry to ensure that we're staying on top of all of the uh, changes that are that always take place in our in our sector and in our industry. How do you become a part of, like, is, are you voted internally throughout uh, other people in the organization? How does that work to get a part of it? Yeah, so your airport is a member, uh, typically a, a member of the Canadian Airport Council. And so, as I said at the outset, uh, there are 56 member airports, including all of uh, the major airports in Canada. Um, and, uh, and then you uh, simply are involved um, in the policy council side, uh, as the leader of of the airport, so uh, many of uh, the airport CEOs are part of the policy council, but the working committees um, are all uh, different levels of um, uh, uh, managers, directors, vice presidents of airports uh, that contribute their understanding, knowledge, and efforts into those committees, uh, which ultimately help again drive the industry forward. Um, to uh, to adapt to new policy, new regulation, technology changes, um, things that uh, ultimately continue to affect uh, the airport system uh, in Canada and abroad. We're just going to take our first break here in Fort McMurray Matters, but when we get back, we're going to keep on chatting with President and CEO of the Fort McMurray Airport Authority, R.J. Steenstra, as well as the newly chosen chair of the Canadian Airports Council. We'll return in a moment to Fort McMurray Matters. Brought to you by Colin Hardigan of Coldwell Banker Fort McMurray, Cooper & Company Law Firm, and Fort McMurray Orthodontics on Mix 103.7. We're back with Fort McMurray Matters. If you're just tuning in now, we're actually chatting with President and CEO of the Fort McMurray Airport Authority, R.J. Steenstra, and the newly chosen chair of the Canadian Airports Council. Now, RJ, what plans does the Canadian Airport Council have moving forward for this year, which I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are many? Well, right. Well, there's some there's some key areas that uh, certainly uh, the Canadian Airport Council is uh, focused on. Uh, one is financial resiliency and competitiveness. Um, so so a lot of people don't realize that airports do compete. Uh, and in particular, when you look at um, for example, the difference between the U.S. system and the Canadian system and the closeness at which there are airports located 
um, to the border of Canada and the propensity for travelers to look for the cheapest flights to any destination. Um, it really right now puts Canadian airports at somewhat of a disadvantage, given that um, the U.S. system has really um, significantly supported uh, their airports w- with with ex- you know large um, sums of uh, of supporting money, uh, where the Canadian system has um, the Canadian government has taken a more selective view on support, and so therefore you know we have to be considerate of the the um, the competitive nature of our business. And what does that look like? They our fees have had to go up. Their fees have either held or in some cases gone down simply because they had that sustaining uh, um, support uh, right from the beginning of COVID. So didn't feel uh, the same impact that Canadian airports have. So that's just one area. Obviously, the long-term uh, financial viability of the system and each airport, not a lot of people realize, but we are independent non-share capital corporations uh, that are community serving. So while the government is involved from a regulatory standpoint. We do operate as independent community serving um, businesses ultimately. Uh, and so, um, you know, there, there's, there's, um, there's a challenge there going forward given that passenger dro- uh, numbers have dropped so dramatically uh, over the last two years and it continues to be very, very volatile. We see now with this new variant just how much effect that's having again on the system, um, that it makes it very hard when, uh, when you've got a business that has tremendously high fixed costs with very little source of revenue um, that is uh, no one's uh, obviously doing or fault, um, but that requires a different kind of uh, support versus, um, you know, other areas uh, of the economy. And I, I think that that's a, an important distinction. Um, the other area we're, uh, we're looking at, of course, is um, uh, the model of, of, of the airport system. Uh, does that need to change? It was created in 1992 when the federal government devolved themselves of the airport system. Um, and so um, we've inherited a, um, a legacy that's now going on 30 years. And does that still work for the modern airport uh, in this country? And so um, we're, uh, we're, we're looking at that. And then of course, there's always um, government services at airports. So again, something people don't realize is that security screening is not an airport function. It's a government function. We just provide them the space in order for them to do that function. So, you know, those all those relationships uh, are uh, are also being looked at and how how the what the future needs to be versus where we are today uh, and are there any gaps and changes we need to make so those are sort of three four key areas that the Canadian Airport Council and the in particular the, the policy council are uh, very closely looking at um, and so we share a lot of issues obviously with the US as well um, one in particular right now is funding uh, for uh, pre-clearance uh, at the major airports in Canada. Um, and so that's a U.S. issue, um, but um, it's has a significant impact not only on Canadian travel, but it has a massive impact on, on, um, on those U.S. destinations that by simply going through Calgary, for example, or Edmonton in pre-clearance, you now can fly to 
you know, 100, 150 destinations in the U.S. that don't have customs facilities in those airports. If we didn't have pre-clearance, you can imagine how diminished uh, or, or more difficult it would be to fly into the U.S. Um, for uh, for travel uh, just simply because they don't have um, customs facilities to process Canadians who are still deemed international travelers, of course. So it, we, we have to look at that uh, together, and that's why we work closely with our counterparts in Washington uh, and ensure that those issues um, get addressed uh, on Capitol Hill and in Congress uh, because it's simply a funding issue on their side in order to um, to serve those preclearance centers in Canada. Yeah, there's definitely a few things in there to uh, unpackage. Yes. Like even <laughs> even the no, even the the first one that you had mentioned, and and trying to compete with American airports because I mean, the states is such a financial titan that it's very hard for anybody to compete and they have so many different uh, airlines that uh, competition can drive price down and there's so many things there so how do canadian airports compete with that especially since you you look at a map of canada of the population mostly lives right uh, hugging the border so how would we even compete against that yeah, so it's it's always been a significant challenge, and and you do try to do so based on service models, based on convenience, um, you know, based on um, you know uh, working with our our domestic carriers to provide the service, um, but but foundationally through certainly through COVID, uh, it makes it very difficult. Uh, and challenging for Canadian airports who have had to operate on debt to 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 cover off uh, shortfalls in revenue uh, where the U.S. airport system hasn't had the same challenge. And so a good example of this for 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 illustrative purposes is um, if you think about Winnipeg, for example, and Grand Forks, North Dakota, uh, even an airport like Grand Forks, North Dakota, received a significant amount of federal uh, support funding through COVID. If Winnipeg was to receive an equal amount proportionally by the size of the airport, it would uh, uh, it would get approximately two hundred million dollars from the Canadian government. So that's how significant that is. So rather than uh, you know the 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 Winnipeg airport in being able to hold their fees, uh, maintain operations, they've had to go to the market, raise a hundred million dollars more in debt. Uh, raise their fees to the carriers, which ultimately gets passed on to the passenger in terms of cost. Um, we do have a user pay model, and and so it's 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 the challenge of the system, and that's simply what we've been advocating for right from the beginning is foundational support that that um, that permits the airports to continue to maintain operations. And it's not just the airports, the airlines are in the same position and as well the air navigation system, uh, which is uh, an air, uh, which is an authority as well. It's separated from the federal government. Um, but uh, but unfortunately, through its processes and um, through COVID has had to raise its fees as well. So the whole system in Canada has got a lot more expensive and that makes us less competitive because someone can simply go to the U.S. Uh, airport, 
in, in a lot of the uh, a market in Canada and get on a much, much cheaper flight because those entities, those carriers have not had to raise their fees like we've had to see being done in Canada. And so it's a it's quite a complicated issue, um, but it it's illustrated illustrative of the point uh, and one that we're certainly continuing to be focused on as a, a Canadian Policy Council. We're just going to take our last break here on Fort McMurray Matters, but when we come back, we're going to continue chatting with President and CEO of Fort McMurray Airport Authority, R.J. Steenstra. So stick around. We'll return in a moment to Fort McMurray Matters. Brought to you by Colin Hartigan of Coldwell Banker Fort McMurray, Cooper & Company Law Firm, and Fort McMurray Orthodontics on Mix 103.7. Back with Fort McMurray Matters, chatting with President and CEO of the Fort McMurray Airport Authority, R.J. Steenstra, and the newly chosen chair of the Canadian Airports Council. Just before the break, RJ, you had mentioned uh, about trying to reduce costs somehow, but there are so many things that you just can't change. For instance, like airlines, the cost of fuel is what it is. There's no changing it. They need the fuel to get from point A to point B. So where do you go about cutting costs? And where are you finding these savings? Yeah, so I mean, airports have spent a a fair amount of time this year, um, obviously looking at their own cost uh, models and um, reducing um, and creating efficiencies uh, where they need to. But the reality for... Uh, the airport in particular is uh, we we have a fixed cost model, whether we're landing a Cessna 172 or a 747, the airline or the air, the uh, runway still has to be clean. It's still we have, you know, we have weather conditions in our country. Uh, we have a high level of uh, safety regulation that we must comply with. Um, we have, um, there, you know, there's all sorts of fixed costs, utility costs, um, you know, um, chemical costs for example, that just don't simply, we cannot just simply say, well, we'll do without that. It just, we have to find the resources uh, to, uh, to, to enable uh, the airport operation to continue. Um, certainly a lot of airports across the country uh, have had to reduce their teams. Um, they've had to lay off employees. They've had to reduce their, their contracts. Um, they've had to uh, simplify services in the airport. Um, but at the same time, we all have uh, an airport is like a city. There are um, many, many businesses that rely on the airport for their own livelihood and function, uh, including restaurants and car rentals and all these other services that um, that we have in the airport environment that now also don't have a revenue source. And so how do we continue to maintain the system um, without uh, without that that strength of um, of revenue and that passenger flow that we we all need uh, in in the airport environment and a lot of airports of course have diversified their revenue and in Fort McMurray's case we have 80 tenants on the airport land uh, that that rely on the airport but there again they rely on the airport for their livelihood the airport needs to be operational we need to main- maintain the taxiways and the and the runway and the terminal buildings and all of the roads systems, etc., uh, for those businesses to continue to stay operational and viable. So it's it's a complicated 
um, web, uh, an intricate web, uh, and we're all reliant on each other. And so when you don't have foundational support or you don't have enough foundational support, and you know, I have to give credit to the federal government, they have put a number of programs together uh, that have benefited Fort McMurray Airport in our case and have benefited airports across the country. Uh, but my position just simply is it's, it's not enough. It's, it's not enough to prevent the cracks in the system from, from continuing to grow and get bigger and ultimately um, be counterproductive to what we're trying to do, which is get people back in the air again uh, and traveling and visiting friends and family. Because again, the airport is such a huge economic engine for every community that has an airport, a commercial airport in the country. Um, and we can't forget those those big impacts that airports have that a lot of a lot of the a lot of us take for granted we just simply think that it's just there as a utility and away it goes um, but it but it has a much broader impact um, that um, sometimes is not as appreciated as it should be before at least my head um, has Fort McMurray seen any sort of protection from this at all because of the amount of uh, transient workers that fly in and out for work just given the size have we seen any protection at all our airport yeah you know Adam you, you bring up a great point and uh, yeah it's something I've been talking about over the last two years uh, when COVID hit um, a lot of airports took a very very deep hit to their passenger traffic uh, levels to the tune of um, losing 90% of their uh, of their volume. Uh, we did the same very, uh, very early on. We went down to about 90%, uh, sorry, about 10% left. Um, but, but once um, there was an understanding of the impact, once oil field workers were deemed essential workforce, um, the traffic volumes started to pick up again and then leveled off. And I, so I, I do say we were the best of the worst in the country. And in fact, for much of uh, the first year and a half, we were, we were the best performing airport in the country on a percentage basis, simply because we had that base level traffic volume that never went away. Uh, it wasn't a tremendously high level, but on a percentage basis, we were able to stay reasonably stable, um, which you know kept the lights on and the and uh, you know and the heat on, et cetera, through throughout the last two years. And so um, we did also see a quick uh, rebound to about fifty or sixty percent of our traffic volumes uh, coming through the process. And now we're hovering at about sixty uh, percent. Uh, return and um, and that's fairly good news uh, when when I look at my colleagues across the country simply because it was essential workforce uh, and it was mostly domestic travel and so that kept us uh, reasonably shielded from really some substantial impacts across the country and I, I would imagine with the Christmas holidays like was there a big notice there I know it's just about two years now but the holidays I would imagine big travel was there still a, a significant gap there as well? Uh, yeah, there still was. I mean, we're still down, as I said, about 40 to 50% of our traffic volume, uh, but we did start to see recovery coming back into the system. Um, and, and even so in, in Fort McMurray uh, with, um, with through the fall, uh, we had a fairly good August. Um, and then through September, October, November, it actually held um, fairly steady, which uh, which was good news. Um, and December was a strong was strong as well. Um, we are starting to see um, the significant diminishment 
already uh, through uh, through this next variant of the of COVID, uh, with people um, being uncertain uh, whether travel should happen or whether they should go away or go to the U.S. or or things like that. So um, cancellations are happening. That's uh, for sure. So I I think Q1 of 2022 will be quite. Um, volatile and uh, and and hopefully coming into Q2 we'll begin to get back on track to to recovery. But having said that, I we fully expect a three year uh, a three year minimum for recovery, and and that's across the industry. Most 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 airports and communities uh, are predicting about a three year recovery, three to five years actually on a recovery basis. So kind of ways down the road. Um, it is a ways down the road. <laughs> yes. <you bet. laughs> um, and then with the um, travel passports that were coming in, was there a notice of a, a like an uptick uptick of travel with the when the, you know having the documentation and needing to travel? Was there a downtick? Uh, was there any notice when that came out? Not really. You know, um, was certainly uh, n- not for us anyway. We we did not see uh, a significant change in our volumes uh, over uh, the requirement of uh, vaccines, for example, to travel um, and or a uh, health passport uh, is still um, in the in discussions and and certainly again another global this is this is a global issue uh, that um, is affecting airports and one that we're very all very focused on is how do we create consistency across the globe because again you can't just take it in isolation Fort McMurray is part of a global value chain a global travel system and so people leaving Fort McMurray going to um, you know, uh, to Singapore, for example, are going to be affected uh, by whatever standards are created. And if they're different here versus in, um, you know, a transiting country like uh, South Korea, uh, and then different in Singapore, you can see how it creates a lot of problems. Um, we also see it across the country in our own country between uh, Prince Edward Island and uh, British Columbia and 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 for example the Yukon every everyone seems to have a slightly different uh, requirement and take on on what the health protocols and restrictions uh, are and what they will be going forward and so that creates a lot of challenges for people uh, needing to travel and uh, we have to we can't forget we live in a very very big country uh, and it's simply not feasible to get in your car and drive uh, to Prince Edward Island so travel and and uh, aviation is here with us we just got to create really strong consistent policies and processes for our own domestic market but then also with the u.s and uh, our global counterparts so we do have uh, other associations that we work with and uh, we're all talking about how does how do we create a global standard with uh, the world health organization for for travel so Wow, I definitely think we have the right guy, a part of the uh, CAC now to take us in that direction for sure. Uh, Is there anything, just because we're ending up here, is there anything you kind of want to uh, just end us off with and anything you want to uh, say before we head out? Well, you know, again, I'd like to just say thank you to the community for all their support of uh, the airport. We have a tremendous uh, airport uh, facility here uh, in Fort McMurray, and we're uh, really proud of that. Uh, Some of the things that we're focused on, of course, is uh, continuing to serve uh, the community in the best way that we can uh, with our partner carriers. Um, There is obviously the challenge of just even bringing capacity back into the market, uh, which is something we're keenly focused on, but also looking at 
uh, other opportunities to fly to different destinations that this market uh, is looking uh, for. And so that's something we're, we're very, very focused on um, and, uh, and, and want to ensure that uh, we can deliver uh, what, uh, what the community is expecting uh, for, uh, for, for future uh, travel uh, opportunities. So um, I'll, I'll leave it at that and, uh, and certainly uh, uh, wish everyone again a happy new year and uh, thanks for the opportunity to speak with you, Adam. A huge thanks again to President and CEO of Fort McMurray Airport Authority, R.J. Steenstra, who is, again, the newly chosen chair of the Canadian Airports Council. That is all the time we have for today on Fort McMurray Matters. But if you missed it and you want to hear more, you can go to our website, mix1037fm.com, where a fresh episode of the podcast is uploaded every day. I'm Adam Ophis. I'll chat with you again tomorrow. That's the end of another edition of Fort McMurray Matters. Want a copy of this episode or any past episode? Download the podcast at mix1037fm.com. Brought to you by Colin Hartigan of Coldwell Banker Fort McMurray, Cooper & Company Law Firm, and Fort McMurray Orthodontics on Mix 103.7.